Well, after reading like that, I always feel like we almost need a time of silence just to kind of process some of what we've just said. And, and uh, Greg, I, I know we don't normally do this, and I, I don't want to particularly put you on the spot. But how did it feel reading those verses? It's quite, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really moving. I wonder, I wonder if we could, we could ask one another the same question. Everyone else is here. How, how does it feel to hear those verses? I, I mean, but between us, you know, as we, we hear this, we, we could be feeling all sorts of things as we hear God asking somebody to sacrifice their own child. When we realize there's a point in this story where Abraham is just about to knife his own son. And then it ends seemingly with Abraham being commended and God's promise being confirmed. And maybe, maybe at first they might, these verses might surprise us or shock us. Or if we're familiar with them, maybe, maybe they're verses that we struggle with. Or that when we're trying to work out what is, it, what is God doing, what is going on here, actually we, we start to feel it's getting a bit stressful. And so probably, I guess, for, for a number of people, a number of Christians, uh, what we just want to do is sort of just step over these verses. We'll just go around them. Maybe we'll ignore them. But I don't think that's, that's, that's an option because uh, the same God whose name we've been exploring over the last few weeks, the Lord God, the one who is I am, is the same God in these verses. And if we don't come to Genesis 22 with its challenges, uh, we miss out on something wonderful. Uh, we miss out in discovering or discovering again uh, this, this name of God, the Lord will provide. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people use the name Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh. I mean, the Lord will provide. It's there, isn't it, in verse 14, if you've got your Bibles. It says, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's who we get to encounter this evening as we meet here. The Lord who will provide. And I think in these, these challenging verses, therefore, uh, the Holy Spirit has some wonderful things for us to see. And um, this evening, I just want to offer three reflections on this passage, followed by um, kind of three things maybe to, to take away from uh, from this passage that, that, that I pray will be, you know, they've been helpful to me this week. I pray they might be helpful to you, that the Holy Spirit will use these, these reflections, these thoughts as, as he sees best. Uh, the first one is, the first reflection is, is just for us to plot what's going on. Uh, verse one gives it away. God tested Abraham. It's there, isn't it? Sometime later, it's all God tested Abraham. You know, it's worth noticing that Abraham doesn't come up to God and say, God, I want to show you how devoted and loyal I am to you. This isn't Abraham thinking of the most extreme way he could show his devotion to God. God gets the ball rolling here. I think it's also worth noting, it doesn't say sometime later God punished Abraham. That's not to say Abraham was uh, absolutely perfect. He's got a if you know Genesis, the early chapters, uh, you'll know he's got a, a bit of a reputation for lying. Uh, he's also got a bit of a reputation for taking things into his own hands. Uh, but this isn't God punishing him. Uh, it's worth noticing that it doesn't say sometime later God tempted Abraham. 
scripture, we can go to the New Testament, somewhere like James chapter 1, and it's, it's very clear uh, that God does not tempt anyone. God is not out here to trip Abraham up. That's not his intention. It says God tested Abraham. We hear the word test, and immediately we think exam, marks, grades, pass, fail. But I think there's another way we can think about testing. Um, just imagine with me that you have got, I don't know, at home under your mattress, buried in the garden, a lump of gold. And you know that it is top-notch gold. It's not just you know, any old kind of gold. It's top-notch. You know that. How do, how do you prove it? You go through a process of, of testing. You, you heat it up with fire, and it, and it begins to melt and and the purity of the gold is put on display for everyone to see. And at the same time, I would imagine it's possible. I don't work in the jewellery trade. I have no knowledge of precious metals. So I might be spouting nonsense here. Um, you can correct me if you need to. Um, at the same time, as it revealing how, how good it is? There's an opportunity to refine it even more. So it's even better. God knows Abraham despite him being a liar, despite him taking things into his own hands, has top-notch golden faith. That's what God has been growing in Abraham through his many, 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 many years. And now God is going to show that faith to others and help Abraham to continue to be a man who lives by faith. And it is what God does in the lives of his people. We could go back to James chapter 1. It's just interested me this, this week how James chapter 1 is tied in here. Uh, verses 2 to 3 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, what are we expecting to read? I don't know. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance do its work, uh, bring you to maturity. God uses the trials and the hardships that we face to test our faith, to, to show our faith in Jesus that he's given to us and to help us to keep going living by faith. Now, maybe these verses here weren't, aren't just here because God tested Abraham. Perhaps these verses are here because God tests our faith by these verses. And maybe that's you this evening. I often have a conversation with people, particularly when talking about the persecuted church around the world, persecuted Christians. And, and people will kind of say to me, I just don't know how they can go through that all and still have faith in Jesus. And I kind of go, well, I suspect if they didn't have the experience they were having and were in your shoes, would say exactly the same. But their hardship, their trial, allows that faith to be revealed and to give them that endurance. And it's worth noting that Abraham didn't know that God was testing him. We're told it as the readers. And that maybe that gives you a bit of a few difficulties. And if you kind of want to get into the difficulties and think about the, the moral questions and things, uh, I've got it in my bag. I can recommend chapter five uh, of a book called Is God a Moral Monster? written by Paul Copen. Um, if you want to kind of do a bit of a deep dive. God tested Abraham to reveal and refine his faith. His faith in the Lord who will provide. 
So my first reflection is just to notice that it's God testing Abraham. The second, second thing, reflection, is, is on Abraham's faith. Abraham is the man of faith in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, again and again, when he wants to give the example of faith, who does he turn to? He turns to Abraham. Abraham, who lived by faith, his life by faith, for more decades than I've been alive. And so we might come to this passage with our struggles, our stresses, our our sense of shock. But as Greg read it and as we reread it, do you notice Abraham doesn't share that with us? That's quite important to notice. And perhaps we'd find this passage easier if we did find Abraham struggling more. But why is that? Well, we're jumping in to an episode and an encounter in Abraham's life. There's a lot more that goes before um, over the decades, God has grown his, his faith in Abraham's life. Uh, when, Abraham called, uh, when God originally called Abraham to leave his country, his people, his father's household, what does Abraham do? He goes. Abraham recognizes here God's voice. He says, here I am. We know that God made those incredible promises to Abraham. He would be the father of many, a great nation, who would be blessed and in turn be a blessing to the whole world. And he holds on to that promise. He even allows God to change his name, even though he has no children, from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many. Abraham accepted uh, this promise, this covenant, and received the mark of circumcision. When Abraham lied, when Abraham took things into his own hands, he continued to know God's undeserved kindness towards him. Abraham knew grace. He'd encountered the Lord speaking directly to him. Three visitors who come to him and eat. And one, we're told, is is just a visitor, a man. And yet God is speaking. And so our minds are going, wow, could this be the second person of the Trinity before Jesus is born? But there's this, this encounter with God's voice speaking to him. Abraham knew the power of prayer. Doesn't he? He, he prays to God about the city of Sodom. He knows the character of God. In that prayer, he says, will not the judge of earth, of all the earth, do right? And as a hundred-year-old man, he held his son, born to Sarah in her old age, a miraculous gift that's almost laughable, Isaac. See, Abraham, Abraham is a significant man of faith. He has serious experience with the God who here is revealed as the Lord who provides. So when God leads Abraham to the mountain where he's to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, it's really important that we notice Abraham is not doing this out of some kind of blind faith, blind obedience. God says it, I do it. He knows the character of God. He's acting out of faith that has a whole back catalogue of experience. It's reasonable faith. Isaac could not have been more precious to Abraham, more than that Abraham knew All the promises of God were going to be through Isaac. He was the child of promise. If you wanted to point at this point in time for the hope of the whole world, it was this child, Isaac. And so Abraham's thinking goes along something along these lines. If Isaac is to be a burnt offering, to be given as a way of renewing that relationship between sinful people and the holy God, and all these promises of God, are going to be through Isaac, it can only be 
because God will raise him from the dead. That's, he, that's Hebrews, we see that in Hebrews 11, commend, commends Abraham for it. So why in verse 5, famous verses, where Abraham says to his servant, stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. That's faith. It's a faith that says to Isaac, with the great confidence in verse 8, Abraham answered Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What is happening here in Genesis 22 reveals and refines Abraham's faith. That reveals his faith in the Lord that will provide. Refines his faith in the Lord who will provide. And that word provide, it literally means to see. In the sense of God sees the need. And when he sees the need, he sees to it. Now, that's probably the closest we have in English. You know, when you say, I'll see to it. We have a God who will see to it. That is the faith that Abraham has. God will see to it. He'll provide the sacrifice. He'll provide the resurrection. And this faith in the Lord who provides, the Lord who sees to it, is to be carried on down through Abraham's family. So we read in verse 14, Abraham called this place, the Lord will provide, and to this day. So when this was written and first read, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And this, this is the mountain on which the temple was built. Uh, the temple where, uh, again and again, sacrifices were made uh, in order to renew that relationship between a holy God and sinful humanity. God providing a sacrifice, providing a way, seeing to it. And that faith in the Lord who sees to it, the Lord who provides, explodes out of the temple when another promised son was born in miraculous circumstances. A son who was declared to be his father's son whom he loved. He carried the wood on his back on which he'd be killed. His death being a sacrifice to reconcile sinful humanity to a holy God. Instead of a ram being provided, it's the one John the Baptist pointed to and said, look, the Lamb of God. He's the one who's the sacrifice and three days later is raised to life again. And this Isaac-Jesus connection is what makes Genesis 22 unique. These are unique events. None of us in our arms are going to hold a child and be like, this is the hope for all the world. And so therefore we don't read this and go, Gosh, if I really have faith in, in God, I've got to do something really dramatic. No, no, no. This is here so that we know the God we put our faith in is the God who will provide. And that pass, this passage invites us to put our faith in the God who provides. And it, it's what happened, I think, to Isaac. So my third and last reflection of this passage is, look at Isaac's faith. And this is kind of the bit that's been a little bit new to me this week as I've prayed and gone through this passage. Isaac's faith. Um, and what particularly struck me is, how old is Isaac? That's Abraham. We're not told about Isaac, are we? He, so Isaac was born to Abraham when he was 100. Um, Genesis 21, he's just been weaned. And then all we're told at the beginning of Genesis 20, sometime later. Isaac is old enough, in verse 6, to have carried the wood required for the burnt offering on his back up the mountain. So Isaac is not a slouch. He's no weakling. He's probably not a little boy. 
if anything, Isaac's a youth. He's a young man. Young man faced with his father, who's well over 100. If Isaac wanted to kick up a fuss, if he wanted to take down his dad, if he wanted to run away, if he wanted to push his dad away, he could. But he doesn't. Isaac's old enough to know what a burnt offering is. He's old enough to understand that it's part of worshipping God at this point. And that he's also come to know that the Lord who will provide. The, the, the Lord, his dad, has put all his faith on. He shares his father's faith, I think. Faith in the Lord who provides. Provides a sacrifice that is needed. Provides resurrection hope. Ultimately giving Isaac this faith, which we trace down, is ultimately faith in Jesus. So my three, three reflections are, God is testing Abraham. And look at the faith that it reveals and refines in Abraham. And it's passed on to Isaac and continues down the family line, even to people like us. We might not be biologically related to Abraham, but we share his faith, so we're part of his family. Which gives me three things for us to kind of take away um, this evening um, about God's provision. We know God has provided for our ultimate need in Jesus Christ. He's provided the sacrifice. He's provided the resurrection hope. In Romans 8.32, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Have a Lord who sees to it. But do you know what? When, when God is providing, he is often sparse with the details. So in this story, Abraham is just simply told, go to the region of Moriah. And when he's in the region, he then is pointed to the mountain. How often it is with God's provision that he gives us a direction. He doesn't give us the destination. He gives us the direction to go in. And as we go in that direction, we experience and discover God's provision again and again and again. Isn't that not our experience with Cafe 55? Um, we started, I don't know, 10 years ago exploring whether we could um, lower the threshold of people um, to engage with and encounter the church community and faith in Jesus. We were thinking, how, I say we, I wasn't here. Um, the thought was, you know, can we do something with our building? Could we put an extension on? Could we open a cafe in... Uh, the, the village, in a, in a house in the village, could we, I think at one point we looked at, there was a, looking at the URC church as that was closing down. And what, what could we do? And then it was building a cafe in the park, a new cafe. As we went in that direction, God's provision has been revealed again and again and again. And we find ourselves at converting and renovating and extending the pavilion. The second thing it seems to me that God often waits to the last possible moment before providing for us, or maybe what feels like beyond the last possible moment. Couldn't have got any closer for Abraham, could it? God waits for us to recognize our need and to recognize he is the only one who can truly provide before he provides. But as he provides, we realize that he's already seen to it. Just a big picture, Abraham and Isaac, they're going up the mountain on one side, and there's a ram trotting up the other side. And by the time they're at the top, the ram's already caught in the undergrowth. God's seen to it. But it's right at the last moment that is revealed to Abraham. 
And I remember, again, going back to Cafe 55, when I first arrived here about four and a half years ago, there were some serious conversations going on. Is this project viable? Can we do it? Raise a significant amount of money. There's a heck of a long way to go. And we felt really stuck. That's fair to say, isn't it, Rob? About two weeks after that conversation, an anonymous donation of £300,000 came up. Had to sit down on that day. Amazing. Third thing to kind of take home with us. We experience God's provision more and more as we give to him. Remember, there was nothing more precious to Abraham than his son Isaac. And we're told in verse 16, uh, God's saying, you have not withheld your son, your only son. And what does Isaac get back? He gets back his son. We can know a depth of God's provision when we let go. Because when we let go, we're not holding anything back. And this evening, we're going to almost act that out together as we come forward to receive bread and wine. We let go of everything so that we can receive. You can only receive if you let go. Empty hands ready to receive from the Lord who will provide, the Lord who sees to it. So I hope those reflections, those things to take home might, might have given you something that's, that's helpful. Maybe the Holy Spirit has given you uh, something to, to hold on to. Uh, but I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that in this, this passage we get to see something of your character, that you are the Lord who provides. Thank you that we can say, the Lord provides. You've done everything uh, needed. Uh, for us to be in relationship with you. Uh, the sacrifice required. You've given us resurrection hope. Thank you that you continue to provide for us in ways that seem simple and small, but also in those ways that feel dramatic and drastic. And Lord, as you show us that you are the Lord who provides, you are the Lord who sees to it, would you help us to loosen our grip on those things that we think matter so much? Uh, to offer them to you and to experience more and more of your provision. I pray that would be true for us as individuals, but also as us as a church family. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be uh, helping us to do that. Rewiring our thinking, changing our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.